here we are. We are in October. We're going to continue on this little series we've been doing called The Jesus Way, but we're not going to be doing anything more in the Sermon on the Mount. We covered the Beatitudes. We did one kind of one spot past the Beatitudes. And uh, for the next few weeks, we're going to kind of be looking and doing some cherry picking through the Gospels. We're just adding them to this uh, idea of walking the Jesus way. Um, And so that's what we're doing here this morning. And so this today is going to be taking place outside of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, But it's still, I think, some valuable, valuable stuff. And it has this thing that ties back into this whole idea of love and who Jesus is and what that means for us. But I want to kind of set things up today this way. How do you know that someone really loves you? I mean, that's a big question, right? But when you drill down into it, a few things begin to rise to the top. Uh, Hopefully things like, they're not going to bring you any harm. (laughs) That should be one. Uh, They're not going to lie to you. They're not going to hurt you, especially intentionally. Uh, They will do everything they can to lift you up, to encourage you. They are someone you can trust that they want your ultimate benefit and what is ultimately best for you. And if, you are a fo- and if these people in your life are followers of Jesus, they ultimately want God's best for you. Now, and all of this becomes even more important when things get really chaotic, when the storms of life come, uh, when others try to vie for your attention and even attempt to deceive you usually in the end, to try to manipulate you or to hurt you in some way. Because there's always a competing voice in your life. There will always be someone, something, trying to compete for who you are, your soul, your mind, your decisions, your time, all that stuff. And it becomes even more important when things in life and the landscape of your life feels like it's been completely shifting and even feels a bit unstable. You need someone and something to hold on to and a direction to go that you can completely trust. Someone you know, someone you know who loves you. Someone who really, really cares. Someone who makes you better because they are in your life. And that, my friends, is who Jesus wants to be So let's dive into our passage here this morning. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Jesus Jesus says, I tell you the truth. The person who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate or door, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The one who guards the door opens it for him, and the sheep listen to the voice of the shepherd. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings all of his sheep out, he goes ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. They will run away from him because they don't know his voice. And Jesus told the story, or told the people the story, but they did not understand what it meant. Now, now we know that Jesus loved telling illustrations, right? He loved telling parables in order to make a point. But obviously here, we're told in verse 6, that they don't usually get the point of what he's trying to say quite often. And here he is using the illustration of sheep, of a sheepfold, of a shepherd, 
and then the relationship between the sheep and this shepherd. I wanted to show you a picture of an ancient, possibly first century sheepfold in this region, probably something similar you would have found around Jerusalem and pretty much peppered throughout the uh, ancient world. As you got closer to a town, there would be at least one, if not a couple, of these rock structures where shepherds could come at the end of their day and bring their sheep in through, through a, a central gate, a central point, and they would stay there and be safe over night. And actually, several sheepfolds could actually be mixed together in these larger structures. And then the next morning, an individual shepherd would call his sheep and stand out in front And just the sheep that were from that flock would come out and begin to follow their shepherd. Why? Because they knew his voice. How is that possible? They were that close and that intimate with their shepherd. There was this bond. There was, I guess you could say, love for the sheep, for their shepherd, in whatever way a sheep could love a shepherd. But obviously there was this love for or from the shepherd to the sheep. There was certainly trust that the sheep had in this voice that they were following. The sheep literally knew the voice of their shepherd. And when he simply called, they would separate and they would begin to come out one by one by one and they would just follow. And and the very interesting thing here is that the sheep follow the shepherd. The shepherd's not behind the sheep with a whip, smacking them to get them to move. He's out in front, calling them, just using his voice, and then going in the direction that he wants them to go, and they would simply follow. He led, he didn't drive them. And Jesus uses that first century common knowledge to create a framework of what he wanted to say, because they would have all known exactly what he was talking about. They saw this every day. We don't see that every day, so we're going to try to unpack this a little more for us. Let's unpack this with our first point. So number one, follow the shepherd, or Jesus, who loves you. See, in context here, Jesus says all of this in response to questions and rumors that were going going on about him around Israel. In the previous chapters of, of the letter of John, or this, this epistle of John, uh, gospel of John, sorry, um, before leading up to chapter 10, John writes that he had done all these amazing things. He had done these healings. He had spoke with authority. He had this group of disciples that he had called, and they were following him. He was investing in them. And so the greater population was beginning to ask the question, only naturally and ask it vocally and ask it loudly. Is Jesus the Messiah or not? Is he at least a prophet or not? Did he even come from God or not? Does his authority and the things that he speaks, should they be listened to as the voice of God or or not? There was underlying this whole question is, should Jesus be followed? Important questions. I think questions that people still have today in our own world. 
So Jesus responds to those questions initially with this illustration that we just read. And as we've already alluded to, most people had common knowledge of how sheep, sheep, uh, sheepfolds and shepherds worked. But what Jesus was trying to say went beyond just that, especially to his audience. You see, throughout the Old Testament scriptures, Israel was often referred to as sheep. With God, or Yahweh, presented as the shepherd. And under the Old Covenant, that was the arrangement. And the voice of Yahweh to the sheep was a familiar one. It was a consistent one. It was revealed in their scriptures. And it certainly promised of a day when that voice would be amplified and made even more clear. So Jesus uses this analogy of sheep and a shepherd to kind of repaint this picture for his audience of Israel. So that part, so far, they would have understood. And I'm sure they also would have understood the idea of potential dangers, about potential thieves and robbers that weren't going in through the sheep gate. People who were, didn't have the sheep's best interest at heart, but had nothing but ill will toward the sheep. People who obviously were not the shepherd. They did not love the sheep. Their only desire was to bring harm to the sheep. And they didn't come in through the proper way. Only the shepherd could come in through the main entry way. Now, usually, the shepherd was the gate themselves. I want us to look at this particular picture. It's an artist's rendering of what this may have looked like. It's a lot more ge ge geometrically symmetrical. It's probably why, you know, we like things in straight lines and stuff. You go back to that day, they made the circle, and they probably had some lumps in it and stuff. We like things all looking neat. Um, but then you look at the gate here, and you have the shepherd themselves positioning themselves where the sheep can't get out because they would be potentially in danger, especially at night. And certainly nothing could come in without his knowledge of what was going on. So the, the shepherd specifically would position himself like this on purpose. He was the gate. More on this in a minute. But this would have made sense to them as well. But if you're listening to them, and you're, you're a first century Israel, you're, you're, you're a Jew from that, that time and space and that context, they didn't really go through and answer their question. That, yeah, this all makes sense, Jesus, but... Are you the voice of God, is what we want to know. Are you or are you not the Messiah? Or in their minds, based upon what Jesus just said, was he the guy trying to get in the other way? Was he the robber and the thief? Or was he the shepherd? So Jesus is like, all right, I got this all set up perfectly. Let me tell you. Verse 7. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the door. I am the gate for the sheep. All the people who came before me were thieves and robbers, and the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door, and the person who enters through me will be saved and will be able to come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give life, and life in all of its fullness. 
Now, this is a very familiar passage that many of us have used over the years, myself included, to paint this picture of this contrast between Jesus and Satan, right? Where, where Satan is the one who wants to kill, steal, and destroy, and then Jesus wants to give us his life or life more abundantly. And all that is very true. But that is a secondary application to what's being said here. The direct application of that verse and all the verses prior are to specifically the nation of Israel, specifically those in the first century who were listening that afternoon. And in context, this very verse connects to all the imagery that he had just given. And he now applies, applies all of that imagery to himself, saying to the nation of Israel, let me answer your questions. Yes, I am the voice of God. Yes, I am not only a prophet, but I indeed am the long-intended or awaited Messiah. Jesus is saying that his voice is the same voice that they had followed all these years. It was not a different voice. It was not a different God. Same God, same voice. And they are the sheep. He is the shepherd. He is the gate, and therefore his voice now is the voice to be followed. He's making it very clear. He is not the robber. He is not the thief. He is not the one with ill intentions to hurt or to bring harm to them. Jesus is the one who has their best interest at heart. He is the one who loves them, who does everything to provide life for them. So this was a massive transition underway here, and Jesus was explaining to them what this transition would look like. That those in the sheepfold of the Old Covenant, and in the sheep pen of the Old Covenant, the sheepfold of Israel, were being called out of their sheep pen and toward something new. Toward the fulfillment of what the Old Covenant was always meant to be, And what the Old Covenant was always supposed to lead to, into this new covenant, a much broader covenant, with a much deeper solution and also a much deeper connection. And following Jesus, specifically as the door, as the gate, as the shepherd, the one who loved them, who loves you, is how you get there. That's what I want to develop in our next point. So number two, enter through your shepherd, who is Jesus, who saves and renews you. Now, obviously, again, this can apply to anyone here this morning. But again, that's a secondary application from the original. The first application, the first people Jesus was calling to respond here were those in the sheepfold of Israel. And Jesus uses three key words or phrases to tell them, and by proxy, telling us, what he as the shepherd provides for his sheep. And yes, even for you here today, if you are part of his sheep, if you are following Jesus as your shepherd. I want to put the scripture back here where we looked at before and point out a couple of things. Jesus uses the words saved, pasture, and then the phrase abundant life or life in all of its fullness. Now, now, Israel, under the terms of the Old Covenant, probably thought they were already saved. Saved from God's future judgment, at least at some level, they thought. But Jesus is clarifying some things. 
See, anything that Israel was saved from in the past was in light of what was about to come in and through Jesus. And anything and anyone from the nation of Israel that would be saved from that moment and on into the future would have to be acknowledged as being in and through Jesus. And not only that, but the word saved is much bigger than just being saved from God's judgment. We often just reduce it to that. But it's much, much, much bigger than that. In the Greek, its basic definition meant this, to deliver from a direct threat, to make safe and sound out of a difficult situation. Saved from something and saved into something new. And that direct threat and that difficult situation was not God's judgment so much, but what God was judging. It was the effects and the consequences of sin. They weren't just saved from God's judgment. They were saved from what God was judging. That's what salvation is. From the effects and the consequences of sin in a broken world. All the pain and suffering and brokenness and evil that the world and our humanity, all the threats and difficulties that that brings. And safe and sound means to bring them into whole and restored and renewed. Jesus was not talking about being saved then from a political enemy like Rome and reestablishing some kind of national dominance for them. Jesus was talking about being saved at the core of your being and fixing all that is wrong with the world, including inside of us. And all the years of following the Jewish law, the law of Moses, had not accomplished that for Israel or any of the Gentiles who were following the Jewish law. So you could say, then, that Jesus was saving them, and by extension, saving you and I here this morning, from the inability of religion to do the job. Let's look again at this passage as Jesus says, I am the door, and the person who enters through me will be saved and will be able to come in and go out and find pasture. The voice of God that Israel had been waiting for was inviting them, and by extenuation, inviting you and inviting me to follow into a type of salvation that only he as the gate can provide. And only those who enter through him will be saved in this way. Will be guaranteed. In other words, you don't have to wonder if you made it in or not. The gate determines whether you're in or not. And if you come in through the gate of Jesus, you are in. You have this confidence and this assurance. And being saved in this way is the first benefit of being loved to the core of your being by your shepherd. That that's what this shepherd provided for you. And second is that you find pasture to continue the journey after you are saved. And the word pasture here means nourishment, refreshment implying that Jesus would provide all the people would need for their spiritual growth, or what we often call discipleship. 
Words that give life. What he would accomplish would give life. And then there's opportunities as time unfolds for more to come in and they have pasture and begin to grow and we can see all these things begin to take place. And then finally, he uses the phrase abundant life as he points to a level of true righteousness. We've been talking about that the last several weeks. True righteousness that that people could never imagine, that, that religion can't accomplish for you. The true life of his kingdom, or another word for it, is eternal life. See, religion can't produce the new nature inside of you, the transformation of his spirit within you that gives you his righteousness. A life then that continues on from that moment on into eternity. Therefore, the word eternal life. These are the benefits, folks, of following Jesus as your shepherd. Following the one who loves you to the core of your being. And it can only be found in following Jesus as your shepherd. Those are the benefits offered to you by someone who loves you more than you could ever know. Which brings us to that verse we talked about, about that liar and the thief, right? What does a thief do? It's the opposite of all those things. Why? Because a thief does not love you. A thief just wants to take something from you wants something from you to make you less than what you were before. All a thief wants to do is to diminish your value. And Jesus wants to raise you to the value that he places on you. He wants to give you life to the fullest. For Israel, a lot of those thieves in the past were the voices of the zealots or the voice of the religious leaders or even the voices of the pagans who wanted them to compromise morally and follow their pagan gods and all those things. But I have a question for you and I here this morning. What is the thief in your life that comes to steal, kill, and destroy you? That could be a person in your life, hopefully not literally, but verbally. How they try to influence you. It could be some other source in your life. It could be a media source, a news source, a music source. It could be a stronghold of religion. It it could be this, this background of compounded shame. It could be fear. Maybe for some of you it's a substance that you are addicted to. And obviously this applies directly to Satan and how he feels about you, where his only motive is to steal, kill, and destroy And he does his best to do that in order to discourage you and take you out. But in the face of all of that, Jesus says what? He says, follow me. Because in me, you not only have the opposite of all that the thief wants to do. Not only do you have life, but you get abundant life. Life to the fullest. Life as it was truly meant to be experienced. Now, we don't get all of that here on this side of eternity. We understand that. Just a fraction. But the caveat to all that is that you have to go through Jesus as the gate to receive those benefits. Benefits that he wants to bless you with because he loves you. But Jesus isn't done yet. 
he's explained it. He said, this is how much I love you. This is, this is kind of the parameters here. I am your gate and so on. But let's continue our, I, this idea here with our third point, number three. Understand the depth of the shepherd's love who died for you. See, starting in verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. This is the first time he's mentioned that. He's talking about being the gate, but he makes it very clear, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And then he gives this explanation, kind of a random thing, but he's like the worker who's paid to keep the sheep is different from the shepherd who owns them. When the worker sees a wolf coming, he runs away and leaves the sheep alone. And then the wolf attacks the sheep and scatters them. But the man, the man runs away because he is only a paid worker and does not really care about the sheep. And so then Jesus paints this other picture about being the good shepherd. He goes, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And my sheep know me. And just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and he says once again, I give my life. For the sheep. Two key points here. He makes a clear connection between the shepherd in the Old Testament and him. All that stuff that they knew about God being their shepherd, Yahweh being their shepherd, he is that shepherd. He is that good shepherd. But then secondly, he foreshadows that he would have to do something in order to provide the benefits he's just described. What was that? He was going to have to die. Die as the fullest expression of his love. See, we saw the picture earlier, but when a shepherd sits at the gate, he will be the first line of defense against an oncoming attacker or a potential predator. And if the, if the sheep are outside of the sheep fold, outside of that sheep pen, and a wolf comes, a true loving shepherd who loves his sheep will not turn and burn. He will not run the other direction and just let the wolf have his way. That's what a hired hand would do who does not have any relational connection to his sheep. But a shepherd has a deep relational connection with his sheep. He loves them. So he would rather die saving the sheep from harm than having the sheep exposed without any help at all. Jesus says that's what the good shepherd does. He gives his life for the sheep. And, and what, what is it that Jesus is saying then that, that, can, that brings us the most harm, just who brings humanity the most harm? We can nail it down just to the effects of sin again, brought on by Adam and Eve's decision. They are the worst possible wolf that will destroy you if you are left unprotected. All the repercussions of this fallen world. And Jesus, as the good shepherd, is telling them, and then again by proxy, telling you and I, that it would actually take his death, standing in the way of the quote-unquote wolf, actually dying at the hands of the wolf, to save us in the process. That, my friends, is the depth of the shepherd's love. That is the depth depth of the love that Jesus has for Israel. That is the depth that Jesus has for everyone in this room here this morning. May you never lose the significance of that reality. 
and how it should bring both humility and thankfulness. But I also want those in this room to understand another reality. See, in order for the message to go from just Israel like it was that afternoon to those outside of Israel, outside of the sheepfold of Israel, to Gentiles, let's get more specific, to people living 2,000 years later in an entirely different part of the planet like we are here today, to you and me, something would have to happen. A complete change of purpose, a complete change of vision, a complete change of mission, an understanding of just who the people of God are would have to take place. An understanding of the scope of God's love and the scope of God's plan. Which takes us to the last part of this passage and therefore our last point. So number four. Embrace the scope of the shepherd's mission to reach out beyond you. Beyond your Now, again, up to this point, all that Jesus has said so far has been specifically targeted at the nation of Israel. It had direct application to them. We, the Gentiles, do not enter the conversation until verse 16, which we are about to do. Now, again, sure, we can make general applications and indirect applications from all the verses prior to this, and we can glean some very valuable and important truths about who Jesus is and how he feels about us. We've done that already. But as far as when we officially enter the story, the direct application to you, it starts right here. Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not in this flock, and I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is Jesus saying, people of of the Jewish sheepfold, look around you and ask yourself, who is missing? Who else could benefit from the blessing of being connected to Jesus as their true shepherd, the good shepherd? Who else needs his life, his love, his freedom, his touch into their broken world, his transformation, and continue to grow and be discipled? The only others in the world at that time, if you were a Jew that didn't fit the Jewish category, were the Gentiles. Anyone else not Jewish? And Jesus says, I must, must bring them in also. And they too will listen to my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Not two separate groups under two separate covenants, but one people made up of both Jews and Gentiles under one shepherd, the same one true God of the people of Israel, now revealed in Jesus. That was not a change of the plan. That was always the plan. Let's pause and let this sink in for a minute. Do you understand that we are the other sheep that are not of the original covenant people's sheep? or the sheep pen. You and I are the recipients of Jews who followed the voice of Yahweh, their shepherd, and the voice of Jesus. And when Jesus says that there's other sheep that, that need to be part of this, 
They shared the gospel with Gentiles, who then responded, who then passed it down until it finally reached you at some point, some 2,000 years later. Well, again, let that sink in. Let that humble you. May that result in a heart of extreme gratitude and thankfulness. But then I really feel like as we read this and as we begin to apply it through our own current culture and where we are in the history of God's people and the church, Jesus would ask every single local expression of the church, including ours here at Eagle Brook, the same exact question. I think he would ask, in the same way, Eagle Brook Church, look around your sheepfold. Look around your tiny microcosm of the people in this community and ask yourself the question, who is missing? Who is not represented here that are part of this community that we live in? Who else could benefit from the blessing of being connected to Jesus as their true shepherd, the good shepherd? Who else that are not currently here needs his love, his life, his freedom, his touch into their world, his transformation, and then continue to grow and be discipled, and we get to be a part of that process. And for me, there are several different things, but one thing that comes to mind are young families and with children and teenagers. For others, it could be another demographic, or it could be a specific ethnic group. I know many of here are burdened for our native community here in Lac de Flambeau. If we live closer to Milwaukee, we might even say other demographics that would be around that we don't have currently within our sheepfold. But I want you to begin to think through that question. Because eventually, the people that were listening to Jesus that day would have to get out of their own way. And say there's other people that need the love of God, the love of Jesus, as much as I've been given. Who's missing? Who needs to hear? Who needs to be touched? Who needs to be brought in? Who needs to be discipled? Who needs to be loved on into the kingdom and continued to grow in their relationship with Christ? I go back to this original question we asked at the beginning. It won't be on the screen. I'll just be asking you. How do you know someone loves you? We've discovered how the depth of Jesus has showed us how much he loves us, how much he loves you, how much he loves me. But he also loves those who are not currently part of this family. His family in general, but more even specifically, those local expressions of his family like this here. How will people in our greater community know that they are loved? How will they know that the God of the universe wants to know them. And he wants to love them through you. He wants them to experience him through you. He wants them to, he wants us to call them into this new sheepfold, into the local expressions of his sheepfold. Why? For, for care, for love, for support, for discipleship. And he wants to do it through you. How will they know that you love them? That Jesus loves them. And what can we do to make that happen?
Folks, may we embrace the scope of the shepherd's mission to reach out beyond our sheepfold. May we have a vision beyond ourselves. And it all starts by embracing and resting in the love that Jesus has for you, but reminding ourselves it's also for those around us. Because ultimately, Jesus is the good shepherd. I pray that we're following him in the way that he's called us to. So let's love others because of his incredible love for us. Let's stand.